Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Let's pray, and we're going to turn to Galatians chapter 1. Let's pray. Father, thank you for another Lord's Day. Thank you that you have uh, given us life this day, that we may come into your house and worship you. We pray we would do do so in spirit and in truth. Father, we ask that your spirit would guide us and that uh, he would give us understanding in your word. Pray that this lesson in Galatians would be helpful to us and would cause us to grow in your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Galatians chapter 1, we're going to be focused on 10 to the end, but I'm going to read the full chapter here to get us into it. Galatians 1, this is the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying, that I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, But only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith 
which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. This is the word of the Lord. So, we've gone through the first nine verses, essentially, and the Apostle Paul is getting us into the topic, into the, um, right into the situation that's going on in the church, in uh, the churches of this region in modern Turkey, okay, and He's already starting to um, drop into their laps the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ. We've seen that as we've come uh, through this. And, of course, when, when you're dealing with false teachers who are coming into the church, which is what's happening here, the Judaizers are coming in saying that, that you must be circumcised, to be justified, you must be circumcised to be saved. It's faith plus. It's, it's sort of a semi-Pelagian um, uh, works plus uh, some, uh, or faith plus some work. No matter how quickly that work can be done, no matter how little it can be done, it's faith plus this equals justification. So they're coming in and saying, you must be circumcised, you must keep the ceremonial law, you have to eat the right foods, you have to do things like that. You have to become a Jew to be a good Christian. They weren't denying Christ was the Messiah. In fact, they, the Judaizers believed that. They just thought that uh, we couldn't dispense with the Old Testament laws. And so the Apostle Paul is the perfect man to take on this argument and he's the perfect man to take on this argument because if the Judaizers were scrupulous about the ancestral traditions, the Apostle Paul was way more before his conversion, right? So he knows exactly what they're thinking, exactly what they're feeling, exactly why they're zealous. He knows down to a visceral level, just he knows it in his gut, what exactly they're grappling with here. And he comes at them very strongly. His, his greatest heat in this letter is against the false teachers, even though he's rebuking the churches of, of this region for going after this false teaching. And so, Paul, dealing with opponents, finds himself in the situation that no pastor, elder, apostle, leader, authority ever wants to be in, which is to be in a situation where you have to defend yourself. <laughs> because um, because it, it sounds um, self-centered, it sounds as if you're throwing your authority in people's faces, but the fact of the matter is there comes a point where he must defend um, his authority. And that's what he's doing in this chapter and into the next, um, certainly the second half of this. Paul is defending himself. himself. There are times when we ought to defend ourselves, and then there are other times when we ought to allow the Lord to be our defense and keep silent. Paul has discerned that this is a time for him to speak, 
okay? Likely he's being slandered by the Judaizers, right? Easy to slander the Apostle Paul because of his background, right? He was a violent persecutor of the church, and now he's, he's teaching the church. Now he's going around preaching the gospel of Christ. How can this be, right? We would be, um, you know, if... if um, Oh, you know, if, if Stephen Hawking, you know, he's, he's dead now, but if he were alive and he s- suddenly started preaching the gospel, we'd be like, okay, what in the world is going on here? Um, has he lost his mind? Is he, is, this, is he making a mockery of the Christian faith? Is he doing, what are his motives here? And we would be in the, very skeptical of what's going on here. And the churches were skeptical of the Apostle Paul because his reputation preceded him. Now, why does he, so why does he have to make a defense? Because the Judaizers, who are upset that the Apostle Paul is not telling the Gentiles to keep the ceremonial law, are undoubtedly using ad hominem arguments against the Apostle Paul. They're just attacking his person and not the truth of what he's, he's preaching. Right, um, And so they're trying to convince the Galatian churches, go our way, not his way. And so he comes in and says, okay, here's why you should follow me. Here's the truth. Here's what's going on. He defends himself. His basic arguments are three things. One, I'm not trying to seek the favor of men, but rather God. I'm serving God, he says. I am not serving myself. I am not serving other men. I am not. Um, I, I am not being uh, pushed by certain other people. I'm serving God in this. His second arg- basic argument is the gospels I preached. The gospel I preached there was not from man. It wasn't even taught to me by man, but it came to me by revelation. Right through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so essentially his second argument is I preach what I received from the Son of God directly. Okay? And then third, his third argument is oh, let's review my life. Let's, let's review how this went down and, and how the Lord worked in my life. And... Um, let me just tell you that I am called by God, and there was no profit for me in, in converting to Christianity. I was making my way in Judaism. I was rising up through the ranks. Everybody would have thought that I would have kept on that path, and the only thing that would make a man swerve away from such realized ambition is conversion, is being knocked off a horse by the light of Jesus Christ, Right? completely changing his course. So, first, seeking to please God is what he's doing. Look at verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a slave of Christ. Right? If he were tr- that, and that's what I just said. If he were trying to please men, who would he be a slave of? He'd be a slave of the Pharisees. He'd be a slave of the, the bigwigs in Jerusalem, right? He'd be doing their bidding as he had been doing, right? He had no incentive to turn away from that until he was taught truth. 
We go to 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, Paul says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. So, so the apostles in general and the apostle Paul were not men-pleasers. They didn't do their work to please men. They did their work because God had given them a calling, a commission, and they were obligated then to go out with what they had received. Calvin makes this application. All those who have the responsibility and the duty of teaching the church of God must forget the favor and approval of the world. If they do not, they can never carry out their duty faithfully, for men will always desire to be pandered to and cannot bear being reproved for their sins as they deserve. Right? Men will always... That, that's, that's our hearts. That's our disposition, is it not? I know that's true of me. I do not like to have my sins exposed or rebuked or dealt with, right? It, it, it's no fun. That discipline is no fun. Um, and we really want to be pandered to. We want, the, we, want our, we want our pastors to get up in the pulpit and protect us from what God says in his word. Somehow twist it around so that it means the opposite of what the page actually says, and a lot of pastors get paid good money to do that, right? And I tell you what, every pastor is tempted to do that because pastors are just sinful men. And so we want to, we want to tickle ears and have smiles and head nods and never really deal with sin. And so we, we always have to the elders and the pastors always have to pray that God would keep us faithful. That's one of our constant prayers in elder board meetings is, God, may we be faithful to shepherd the sheep, which means, you know, um, encouraging the faint-hearted, yes, but also rebuking those who are stubborn. And so the Apostle Paul is not a flatterer. He doesn't pander. He doesn't get up and give... If he got up in the Galatian church and started pandering, what would he be saying? Well, he'd be making some sophisticated argument about how the Judaizers have, have really, you know, they have some of the truth here. And, and he would just, you know, try to work it in. Try to ease, ease that in. Try to talk a lot about Moses and the continuity and, and those sorts of things and and that really circumcision, go ahead. I mean, if you want to, fine. If you don't want to, fine. We're good with that. But that's not the tack he takes with the Galatians. Because he cares about the truth. Right? He cares about the truth. He cares about what he has received from the Lord Jesus Christ by way of revelation. And so he's not flattering. And he cares about the truth. So that's verse 10. He's not seeking the favor of men. He's seeking the favor of God. And seeking the favor of God causes him to not be a man pleaser. 
And notice what he says. If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a slave, a doulos, right? The, the NASB uses bond servant, which I, I mean, I guess that's fine, but um, slave carries more weight in our language, and it is what doulos meant. It means slave. Uh, it's not a voluntary. Uh, it's not a voluntary servitude. It's you're a slave. You're owned. You're possessed by the Lord Jesus Christ. You have no independent will away from your master Jesus Christ. That's what doulos means, right? And so he is. He is a slave of Christ. But if he were trying to please man, no slavery to Christ because he'd just be making stuff up. He'd be doing his own will. What would be motivating him? Not his, his commitment, his, his uh, slavery to Christ. That wouldn't be motivating him. It'd be his flesh. It'd be whatever gain he could get from preaching uh, in a way that pleases man. And so, there's the Apostle Paul. An extraordinary example of somebody that I think was fully committed to uh, the ministry and fully committed to not seeking the favor of men. An uncommon man in that sense. Second, I preach what I receive from God. It is not from man. Now this is interesting where he goes. Because it, it seems, it, uh, just, it's hard for us to comprehend. Why is he making this argument here? For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. And for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. So what he's saying here. Um, The content of the preaching of his, of his preaching, particularly justification by faith alone and Christ alone, is not of human origin. He's not just like in the school of the Apostle Peter. And he takes the Apostle Peter's message and runs with it, and he's an apostle of, of an apostle, right? It was not from a human source. It's not a human origin. It's not from himself, it's not from others, it was given to him directly by God in a revelation of his son. And he goes on to tell how and when he received it from God from his own history, right? He goes through and he says, for you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. He and we, we read about that in, the, in, uh, in Acts, Acts chapter 8, right at the beginning of it. It says, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death, and on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Some devout man buried Stephen and made loud lamentations over him, but Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women, he would put them in prison. Okay? So that's what he's talking about there, how he used to persecute the church of God beyond measure. Extremely zealous. Doing things that were 
I mean, when he says beyond measure, it's like going beyond what the law required, right? Going way beyond it, persecuting, dragging them off, and tried to destroy it. The Apostle Paul, whom we love for his building up of the church, at one point was trying to see it extinguished, gone, snuffed out. He wanted it to die, and he was working to destroy it. Um, We read about that uh, again in Acts, the beginning of chapter 9, the next chapter. He says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly... A light from heaven flashed around him, right? So even as he's traveling there, having gone to Jerusalem and gotten permission, uh, Jesus comes to him. And so, and then back in, so uh, 13, for you have heard of my former manner of life, how he's persecuted the church beyond measure, tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. He was a distinguished man. The the Pharisees, the sect of the Pharisees, would have known the Apostle Paul. They would have been cheering him on. They would have been awed by his zeal. He would have been a, a front and leading man. In Acts 26, 5, it says that he was a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion, right? He was, you know, in the most intense sect, and he was advancing even there, right, in all these strict rules. And this is key because he's telling the Galatians that he knows better than the Judaizers what's happening here. These, these men who are, le- these false teachers who are leading you astray don't know what they are talking about compared to me. And so in a sense, he's, he's, um, he's pulling rank here. I know better than they do. And he knows better than the Judaizers the ceremonial laws they are so insistently promoting. He knows them. He lived them. Um, In a sense, he's saying this, no no one would have been able to shake him loose of those views. There was nothing to gain. It took a revelation from God himself to shake him loose of his extreme zealotry. He was so deeply involved, so committed. Right? One commentator said, only divine intervention could have convinced him. Left to himself, he would, have, he would not have neglected the ceremonial aspects of the Mosaic Law. He loved the gathering of family on holy days. He loved the annual pilgrimages to Jerusalem. He loved ritual rites of passage through which every Jewish child passed. He was violently opposed to anyone who threatened to undo that culture. Right? That Jewish culture, those ceremonial aspects. He had lived it. He loved it, right? 
right? It'd be like giving up Christmas. It would be just like that. It'd be giving up the traditions that you think are, are um, wonderful. And it took God to do that. Verse 15, but when God. But when God... Comma. I just love that phrase, right? Ephesians says, but God, being rich in mercy, right? It's all like, you're depraved, you're depraved, you're depraved, you're depraved, but God, being rich in mercy, right? Here it's like, here's, I was zealous, 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 but when God, <laughs> everything changed, right? When God acts, everything changed. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Right, so the first part of that is, is I mean, we just, it's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Paul was one thing, then God acted, and Paul was a completely different thing. Right? St. Paul, completely changed by the gift of the Holy Spirit living within him. The old man gone, the new man alive. Right? Everything had changed. And it wasn't the Apostle Paul's choice. Where did where did the Apostle Paul ever have a choice? Jesus Christ came and kicked him in the face and said, you're going to go preach what you hate currently to the Gentiles, whom you probably also hate. <laughs> it's like Jesus came, confronted him, and Paul had no choice. Even the first words out of Paul at his conversion are, you know, Lord calls Jesus Lord. And so he goes from a persecutor to a preacher. Calvin says he used to be a ravening wolf, but he became not only a sheep, but a shepherd. He used to be a mortal enemy of the gospel, but here he is serving the Lord Jesus Christ. He used to be blasphemous, cruel, proud, and rebellious, but now we can see a zeal which issues from the Spirit of God we see complete humility and gentleness, says the Apostle Paul. I mean, says Calvin about the Apostle Paul. I mean, think about that. You know what I was like, now, now look at me, he's saying to the Galatian churches. You know what I was like, now look at me. I think every Christian on some level has to be able to say that. Covenant children, um, people who've, who've been in and out of churches their entire life, you know what I was like, now look at me now. <laughs> um, it's easy perhaps for family to see those things, 
because they know you a little more intimately. But even your family should be, you know, you should be able to say that to your family. You know what I was like, now look at me. Even if it's just an increase in your sanctification, putting down sins that once controlled you, right? Those habitual sins, putting, putting them to death in Christ, right? You know what I was like, now look at me. Look at what Christ has done. Look at what, um, what mercy and grace he's shown to me, that he's freed me from that bondage to my flesh and and he's made me somebody who praises his name when I once was a blaspheming fool. God acts in our lives in the same way that he acted in the life of the Apostle Paul. There is no one in here who has been converted because you were born in the right family. There's no one in here who, the only reason that you have faith in Jesus Christ right now is because at some point the Holy Spirit came in and kicked you in the face. Okay? You are horribly sinful. You are depraved. Left to yourself, left to ourselves, we would rebel and continually rebel against God through all time. We would denounce him. We'd be blaspheming fools for all of an eternity. And the Holy Spirit comes in and it's, but when God, but when God changed me, then I was changed. I had no choice. And so here, here this, is, this is strange. Um, And it's something that, that we have to deal with here too. He says, now follow, follow the Apostle Paul through this. He says, look, former manner of life, Judaism, persecutor, blasphemer, great Jew. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb, we talked about that in like the first lesson, right? He, he had been set apart God allowed him this life of sin, even though he had been set apart from the womb. So this time was coming. This had been ordained before the foundation of the world, right? His conversion. And, and so he came to faith at the time that Jesus came to him, called him through his grace. And notice it says, was pleased to reveal his son in me was pleased, God the Father was pleased to reveal His Son in me for this purpose, that I might go preach Him among the Gentiles. And then he says this, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. And we kind of think, why not? How is the, why, why bring this up? Well, first he says, I didn't immediately consult flesh and blood. And then he says, I didn't even go to Jerusalem right, to go talk to the apostles before me. But I went, to, went off to Arabia, right, and we don't know what happened there. We, we just don't have any more information about what he did there. It seems he preached the gospel. And then he went back to Damascus and then stayed there for three years, and then three years, then he goes to Jerusalem, but he only stays there 15 days. And he makes a point to say, I was only there for 15 days. And I only talked to two apostles, not to all of them. I just talked to, 
to Cephas, who's Peter, and to James, the, the brother of the Lord. And then he gives this oath. Now, what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. It's like he's, he's saying, I solemnly swear, this is the truth. Right? He's putting himself under oath at this point, and he's, he's saying, take me to court if you don't believe me, and we'll try, you can try and prove your case, but I swear this is the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And then he says, then after that 15 days in Jerusalem, he goes off into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and there he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching to the churches, but he's still unknown by the churches in Judea. Back in the homeland, right? Still unknown by the churches there by face. They know him by reputation, but they haven't seen him face to face at all. He hasn't been around them. They kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were excited by it, I'm sure, but, but nonetheless probably skeptical. And 24 says, and they were glorifying God because of me. We get that. So... He is, um, what argument is he making here? What point is he trying to prove by this section, do you think? Yeah, yeah. Undoubtedly, that's part of what he's saying here, yeah. No, I don't. I think that's not the point he's making. I think that's the opposite of the point he's making, honestly. Um, it, it's very obscure. I mean, it's very strange. It's a po- it's, it's the point he's trying to make is a point that no other man would ever want to make, but the Apostle Paul must. The point he's trying to make is, I didn't receive this gospel from any man. That's all he's trying to prove through all this. He's like, I was by myself, 15 days with the apostles, and then I was by myself, and that was 14 years. I was by myself. All that time preaching the gospel. And so this came by revelation. I didn't receive it even from an apostle. I did not receive this from Peter. I didn't receive it from anybody. And so he's undergirding the fact that what he received was by revelation of Jesus Christ. Because... Because the Judaizers are probably saying, well, he's ripped this off and he's manipulating what he ripped off, right? And what he wants to say is, no, this came straight from God. Straight from God. Now, that's not, a, that's not an argument that anybody other than an apostle can make. The other apostles could make the same argument, right? They had spent time... They had seen the Lord Jesus Christ, they had learned from him, and they handed on what they received directly from God. That's the definition of an apostle. He's, the, the apostle Paul is defending his apostleship. He has to be able to make this argument. This came to me directly by revelation from Jesus Christ. If he can't make that argument, then he's not an apostle, he's just, he's an apostolic delegate like Timothy He's not an apostle, right? He's not an apostle if that's not the case. 
And so notice what he says about the apostles. He just calls them flesh and blood. <laughs> he just, he's like, I'm not beholden to any man. And these apostles that I consulted with, they're just flesh and blood. I got this from God. This came by revelation from Jesus Christ. Just flesh and blood. So he went to Arabia. He's there for three years. Perhaps solitude, perhaps studying the Old Testament scriptures in light of this revelation he received from Jesus Christ, getting ready to go out to the, the synagogues and to the Gentiles. He goes back to Damascus briefly on his way to Jerusalem, 15 days only with Peter, no other apostles, James a little bit, you know, maybe they had dinner together. Um, he's not a disciple of James, he's not a disciple of Peter in the sense we're talking about, right? He's an equal to these men. Now, the Apostle Paul, born, you know, not at the normal time as others, has to make this argument because everybody is going to attack him and say, well, he's not really one of the apostles, is he? You know, he, he's not really one of the apostles. So he's making this stuff up. He's a rogue element in the church, and, and we don't trust him. I'm sure the Judaizers were throwing, throwing away his apostolic credentials. Of course, the Apostle Paul defends his apostolic credentials to the Corinthians. They didn't respect him, right? And, um, and in other places, he does as well. Now, until 14 years after his conversion, um, it's not until 14 years after his conversion that he has an extended time with the other apostles, right? Galatians 2.1, then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also, which is very interesting, isn't it? I mean, I say it's a weird thing to have to argue because... Every pastor says, look, I only have authority because of the laying on the hands of presbytery and having been handed that authority from other men. But apostles can't say that, <laughs> or they're not an apostle. They must receive this commission from Jesus himself as the apostle Paul did, Okay. All of this to say that his gospel was by revelation, not from learning at the feet of Peter or James. There hadn't been enough time. He didn't have to study to get there. It was by revelation. And so that's his argument here. Listen to me. I receive this directly from the Lord Jesus Christ, whom you uh, claim as your Savior and the Messiah. That's what he's saying here. Now, I want to, I want to uh, read... A, some Luther to close. Luther on that phrase, to reveal his son in me, says some beautiful things that I want to uh, share with you. Um, it's verse 16, right? But when God, who set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, they did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Here's what Here's what Calvin, or, uh, Luther says on to reveal his son in me. You hear in this place what manner of doctrine is given and committed to Paul. To wit, the doctrine of the gospel, 
which is the revelation of the Son of God. This is a doctrine quite contrary to the law, which reveals not the Son of God, but it shows forth sin. It terrifies the conscience. It reveals death, the wrath and judgment of God and hell. The gospel, therefore, is such a doctrine as admits no law. Yea, it must be separate as far as far from the law as there is distance between heaven and earth. This difference in itself is easy and plain, but unto us it is, a hard, it is hard and full of difficulty. For it is an easy manner, matter to say that the gospel is nothing else but the revealing of the Son of God or the knowledge of Jesus Christ and not the revealing of the law. But in the agony and conflict of conscience to hold this fast and to practice it indeed is a hard matter, yea, to them also that be most exercised therein. Now, if the gospel be the revealing of the Son of God, as Paul defines it in this place, then surely it accuses not, it terrifies not the conscience, it threatens not death, it brings not to despair as the law does. But it is a doctrine concerning Christ who is assuredly neither law nor work but our righteousness, wisdom, sanctification, and redemption. Although this thing be more clear than the sunlight, yet notwithstanding the madness and blindness of the papists hath been so great, that of the gospel they have made a law of charity and of Christ a lawmaker, giving more straight and heavy commandments than Moses himself. But the gospel teaches that Christ came not to set forth a new law and to give commandments as touching manners, but that he came to this end, that he might be made an oblation for the sins of the whole world, and that our sins might be forgiven, and everlasting life given unto us for his sake, and not for the works of the law or for our own righteousness. Of this inestimable treasure freely bestowed upon us, the gospel properly preaches unto us. Wherefore, it is a kind of doctrine that is not learned or gotten by any study, diligence, or wisdom of man, nor yet by the law of God, but is revealed by God himself, as Paul says in this place, first by the external word, then by the working of God's Spirit inwardly. The gospel, therefore, is a divine word that came down from heaven and is revealed by the Holy Spirit who was also sent for the same purpose. And so you see in there the, the uh, Luther uh, trying to make uh, hard and fast distinctions between the purpose of the law and the, the purpose of the gospel, the purpose of the law, Moses versus the grace of Jesus Christ, right? Not, not to put them in opposition but to make us properly understand their significance, right? The law reveals sin. Jesus Christ came as an oblation, a sacrifice for sin, right? And so faith in him saves and is a sacrifice. And so for, for everybody who's come to Christ, it's the same process here. But when God revealed his son in me, Right? Has God revealed his son in you? Do you cling to the righteousness of Christ? Or are you still grappling to, uh, grappling to um, climb the hill so you can claim some righteousness of your own? 
That will be a failing effort. The hill is too, too high to climb, right? But in Jesus, you are, you are made righteous, right? You climb the whole hill, and the hill is demolished. And so let's praise God for his um, grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the assurance that we receive as we contemplate the glorious work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that the Apostle Paul was converted and he went from a persecutor to a preacher. We thank you that you inspired these words that he has written down for us and so we have your word. And so I pray that we would receive your word that we would trust your word, that we would study your word, and that we would do your word. And that that would be satisfying to us as we, we know that you are pleased with those works that arise from faith. And so, Father, bless us, help us. As we go into worship, Lord, help our minds to be taken off this world and set on things above. And may we come to your table in a worthy manner, and feast upon your Son's body and blood by faith. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.